Well, it's great to be here this morning, and you'll notice that the title of our talk today is Is Your Heart Being Shrunk or Stretched? So, uh, I had forgotten actually that a couple of weeks ago that Beth had given an introduction, and if you remember, she had got you all to stand up and put your arms up and stretch a little bit. And I'd forgotten about that, so um, I, this title came to me through the week, and uh, and, and Beth actually gave me a, just a little quote that I'm going to read to you right now, which I think is very apt for us this morning. I've learned that the unexpected growth that God wants for us is in the stretch, not in our pulling back. The grace and the blessing are in the stretch. To do what God has called us to do is impossible without the stretch. He is calling us to stretch past our fears, past our insecurity, past our inconvenience. He wants us to stretch so that we can move forward. That's a quote from Christine Kane. And I think that's exactly what we want to say today, that God intends for us to be stretched and life will stretch us. And there is a running through stuff. I often tell this story, forgive me if I've told you this story before, but when I was a very young child, my earliest memory of being at school, I was sent to my Allen's school, uh, just outside Guildford. And I remember on sports day being a little, just a little thing. And uh, I remember being sort of told that I had to run this race and that I was pointed in the right direction and I was told to run down to this piece of ribbon at the bottom. So I didn't know anything and nobody told me that you were meant to run through the ribbon. And I was racing down and I was out in front. And when I came to the ribbon, I just put the brakes on and I stopped like that. And somebody else just shot through and won the race. I never forgot that. You see, we've got to run through the stuff. There's no point in stepping back at a certain point. God wants you to run through whatever the enemy puts in front of you. And he'll give you the grace to do it. And so stretching and running, and this verse that I wanted to quote to you at the beginning today is, I will run in the way of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. See, God wants us to run so that he will stretch and enlarge our hearts. And we're talking this weather about David having a heart that was after God's heart. And that's the kind of heart that we want, isn't it? And so this word enlarge, it comes from a Hebrew word called Rahab. I think that's how you pronounce it. And it means to become wide and spacious. And God wants to stretch our hearts. And he wants to give us a greater capacity for what he wants to do. And it comes through the stressing, the difficult things in life. It comes through running through those barriers that the enemy would put in front of you that says you can go this far and no further. I love Isaiah 54 as well because it talks a little bit more about this. It says... Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spur, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. Listen to this, for you shall expand to the right and to the left and your descendants will inherit the nations. God has bigger plans for you than what you have for yourself. And these troubles and trials and stuff that, that surround you at times, they're only things for you to run through so that God will turn them around and, and, and expand your heart and expand your territory and do, do amazing stuff through your life. And in my experience, the deeper and the darker those things are, the greater things that God wants to do. That's been my personal experience. The message uh, 
translation of Isaiah 54 is, Clear lots of ground for your tents. Make your tents large. Spread out and think big. And you see, we're thinking about David and we're thinking about this heart that he had, that a heart that was beating after God, a heart that even I believe as a young child. We talked last week about the possibility that maybe there was something around his birth. We talked about there being a slight possibility according to some scriptures, we haven't time to go over them, but we looked at the possibility that maybe he knew something of the stigma of being born out of wedlock. Maybe he knew something of the stigma of feeling different to the rest of his, of his brothers and sisters. Maybe he grew up a lonely child. We don't know. We don't want to put things on it that are not there. But, you know, even if he wasn't born out of wedlock, as a young child, he's like all the rest of us. We all grow up with things that trouble us, and there's always problems in life. And David's heart was stretched because it would seem, from what we read, that he spent lots of time on his own out on the hillside looking after sheep when none of his brothers were with him. It seems he spent long periods, but you know what? God stretched his heart when he was out in the hills of Bethlehem. And you know, so many of the fabulous, uh, I hear William singing down the back, so many of the fabulous uh, psalms that we love were actually came out of the mouth of David when he was on his own. Maybe going through trials and worries. <laughs> He's singing prison Lord. <laughs> And David's heart was stretched to know God. I've just written in your notes, to know God in a deeper way because he wrote in Psalm 37, verse 4, he said, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. How did he know to write that? Because I believe as maybe a lonely child, certainly times when he was on his own out on the hillside looking after a handful of sheep, that this young boy realised that his delight was in God. When he looked up to the sky and he saw the sun and the moon and the stars, he worshipped God in the heavens. He had a heart that thirsted and longed after God. And he wrote many of these beautiful songs. And I believe that he learned that when he delighted himself, when he delighted himself in the Lord, that actually the Lord filled his heart and gave him the very desires that God wanted for him and that he desired for himself. And, you know, that's a great thing for us to remember. And the word heart, if you were to look up Psalm 34, sorry, Psalm 37, which is this psalm that David wrote about delighting himself in the Lord. If you were to look that up, you would see that the meaning of the, of, of the word heart there, the deeper meaning of that word, I'm just, just getting it here to read it to you, Psalm 30, 37. Sorry, I'm just going back here. I thought I had it marked. Uh, the deeper meaning is our heart is our intellect, our awareness, our mind. It's the inner person. It's not just our, an organ in our body. Your heart is your inner feelings, your deepest thoughts. It's your soul's inner yearnings. It's the inner yearnings of who you are. That is your heart. And we have been encouraged out of God's word that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart. And it would seem that when David was just a young boy, that he had this love for God that led him to write all these psalms. And we, we haven't time to go into them. Over these next weeks, we'll be looking at some of these psalms and seeing, well, we will be looking at psalms today, even, so that's okay. So we're going to start off just reminding ourselves a little bit about David. 
about how his heart was stretched. Because over the last week or two, we've seen that he was a, a young man, a young boy, who praised and worshipped God. And I want to say this at the start, that praising and worshipping and giving thanks to God stretches our heart. And the Bible talks about a sacrifice of praise. And when we, when we start to praise and we, we feel like the opposite, when we feel like everything's wrong and we have no reason to praise or give thanks, that's the very time to start praising and thanking God. Because you know what that does? That breaks something in the spiritual realm that brings us into a place where we actually feel differently about stuff. And that is a powerful thing for us to remember. And so he, as a shepherd boy, praised and worshipped God. And I want to read just a few Psalms. He didn't write them all, but I want to read a few of these because there's some of them very interesting. Psalm 150 says that we're to praise the Lord. We're to praise him with everything that has breath. It says praise God in the sanctuary. That's in the on the earthly temple, whenever David was a, a young boy, the, the place where, where people gathered to praise the Lord. We're to praise him in the mighty firmament. That's where we're to praise him throughout the created universe. We are to praise God everywhere, in every place, at every time. It says we're to praise him with the sound of the trumpet. We're to praise him with the lute and the harp. We're to praise him with the timbrel and the dance. We're to praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. We're to praise him on the cymbals and the clashing of cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That word breath is the breath that God put into man when he breathed breath into him, when he created him in the garden. The breath of life. Everything that's in us. When we first took breath, when our creator breathed in us, we began to breathe the breath of life. And God wants us to praise him with every breath that we've got. He wants us to, to praise him in every circumstance and in every situation. And David certainly did this. And I wanted to look at just a couple. There's, there's lots of different words for the word praise. And I'm going to look at two that David used. And we're going to look, first of all, in Psalm 18. Because it says in Psalm 18... David wrote, I will call upon the Lord. Actually, I'm going to go back a little bit because we talked about the Lord being our rock in the prayer. I'm going to go back. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. This is David. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength and whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation. The Lord is my stronghold. David said, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So, he said, shall I be saved from my enemies. Now, I love this particular word for praise. This is the word halal, and it means to praise with a loud voice. But the most primitive meaning of this word is the word halal means that as we praise, as we praise him and throw the spotlight on God, something happens that not only does the spotlight hit God, but something happens that changes us and makes us begin to shine. Did you ever notice somebody who's always praising the Lord? There's a light about them. That's because they throw the spotlight on God and something happens. The meaning of it is that it causes to shine. Thus, with our praise, we are throwing the spotlight on our God who is worthy and deserves to be praised and glorified. And the more we put the spotlight on him, the more he causes us to shine. 
In the notes in the Spiritville Bible, it says modern medicine attests to the fact, attests to the value of bringing a depressed person into a brightly lighted room, acknowledging that light greatly helps to heal their depression. How much more will praise introduce the light of God and bring us into the joy of the Lord? Something about praising. The sacrifice of praise, throwing the spotlight on God and choosing to praise him no matter what, causes us to shine and lifts us, lifts us out of our depression. I'm going to look at another word that David used for praise, and it's from Psalm 63. And here is what, here's what David said. Because your loving kindness is better than life, David said, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with the marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. This is another word for praise. This is the word shavach. It's Hebrew. It means to, to praise, to adore. It means to glory in something. It means to still or quiet or pacify someone. Now, this is an interesting meaning for the word praise. Shavak means going in two directions. It ha- I love the Hebrew, the way the words are so, so much in Hebrew words. The, the word shavak means going in two directions. As you're praising God, something happens that starts to calm you. Two directions. Isn't that amazing? The first one, halal, as we praise him, we're changed. We begin to shine and something lifts in our spirit. And this one, as we, as we praise him, this word shavak, something happens. We praise God and something comes back in another direction to calm and quiet and still us. How often do we need to be calmed? How often do we need to be stilled in God's presence? You know that word, be still and know that I am God. We need to take more time to do that. You know... There's a lot of us and we, and we find it very difficult to sit still. And we've been talking a lot about this in our church this last few weeks, about the need to be still before God. And you know, as you quietly worship him and thank him and praise him and adore him and glorify him, something happens that stills your own heart. Something happens that really blesses you. And David, as a young man, David realised this. And there's no doubt that as he was out on the, on, in the... I'm sure he praised him in the house as well as in the hills around Bethlehem. But that's where I see him most. I see him with the sheep and I see him looking up at the sky on his own at night time and he's praising God and he's worshipping. And you know, something is stilling his heart. Something is stretching his heart. And the more we praise and the more we worship him, the more we are stretched. God wants us to be people who will be stretched for him. And then there's one more word for praise that I wanted to look from Psalm 149. David didn't write this one, but I just thought this was a powerful word as well. Let's just look at this one from Psalm 149. This is where it says, praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song. Verse 3 says, let them praise his name with the dance. Let them praise, sing praises to him with the timbrel and harp. I want to ask you, did you ever praise God with the dance? I'd love to challenge you on that. Because I'll tell you something, I love to dance around my room and praise him. And in my deepest, darkest days, when I was going through the greatest trials of my life, I found the greatest release and the greatest blessing to me 
But when I started to dance with my body and worship him, no matter what, there's something about using your body. David did it and he said, I'll be more undignified than this. There's something about the dance of worship to say, Lord, I'm just going to jump before you and I'm going to declare that my whole being is for you. Something breaks the enemy's grip whenever we decide to worship him with all that we've got. And then it goes on to say here, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Isn't it wonderful that the more we praise him, the more beautiful he makes us. You need to go for him for a makeover every morning. (laughs) Do your worship routine and get your beauty treatment. Verse 5 says, let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds. I'll tell you, there's something about laying in your bed and worshipping and praising and thanking God when you're still in your bed. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth. God wants us to speak it out. What life and death is in the power of the tongue. You need to speak it out, get the praises out of your mouth. Because look, here's what it says. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. Do you know that whenever you praise God, it's like you take up a two-edged sword? And well, dare the enemy come near you. Because you're ready. You're ready to stick, to stick that sword into the enemy. And the enemy hates you above all else. He hates you to worship and praise and give thanks to God. So first of all, I wanted to remind us, and we are working up towards the story of Goliath. We're not actually going to get to the battle tonight. We're going to keep that for next week. But I really felt there was so much in this. I could not stop. I could not put this all in this week. Because I feel that God wants to remind us that our hearts have to be stretched. If we're stretched in the everyday things, then we're ready for the big battles. And we're going to see the big battle next week. But I wanted you to see that there was a lot of small battles. And a lot of daily practice. And a lot of daily routine. And discipline. And love. That went on long before David fought the giant because God wants to train our hands to war we read that in the prayer room this morning he wants to train our hands to war and one of the greatest thing warfares is actually praise and worship and thanksgiving it really defeats the enemy now the spirit of the Lord and also the Holy Spirit enlarges and changes our hearts and we looked at that last week how David was not only a worshipper but he was also a, a young man whom God anointed remember last week we looked at how God had sent Samuel to go with the horn of anointing and to anoint him and from that moment on last week we saw that that once he was anointed the, the Lord said to, to Samuel arise anoint him for this is the one and once he was anointed it says the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Now I wanted to look, just pick up now from our, our, our readings in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and we're going to just look at a few things here about how David's heart was enlarged uh, through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We saw last time that he was anointed to be king and that from that day forward the Holy Spirit came upon David. It's very interesting that in the Old Testament from what we read, the Holy Spirit came upon people. But in the New Testament, Jesus said that when he went back to his Father, that he was going to send the Holy Spirit, his Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord, and that he was going to be in us. And we read that from John chapter 14, and of course there's lots of other places in the New Testament that tell us that. So the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon people for specific tasks, 
to, for them to worship or to do something that God was sending them to do. In this case, it was the anointing came on David to be king. But in the New Testament, we have the Holy Spirit in us. We have, we have the Spirit of Christ in us. And he is the one who gives us the anointing for all that we do. So after, after David was anointed, it says that in verse 14 of 1 Samuel 16, well, let's just go back to verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Verse 14. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. I just wanted to stop there for a moment because we're talking today about hearts either being shrunk are stressed and you know when you look at Saul and you look at David you see an example of both because you see Saul as a man who turned back from God a man whose heart began to shrink a man who, who stopped who stopped being God's man a man who ran ahead a man who 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 was out of sync with God and you see his heart beginning to shrink and all the while you see this young boy coming up and his heart is stretching. Every time you see him, his heart is stretching. And you see Samuel's, or Saul's heart was shrinking because he was turning away from God and because he was giving legal ground to the enemy, this evil spirit was able to come and give him distress was able to come and it was more, I believe, than depression, bouts of depression. It was, a, an, it was a distressing, evil spirit that was coming upon him. Now, it says here, the way it's written is that it was sent from the Lord, but actually I think we need to clarify that a little bit because God doesn't, do, God doesn't deliberately send stuff that's evil against us. But you know what happens? If we give legal ground... If we give legal ground to a distressing spirit, then the legal ground is there. If you're not believing God, if you're not having faith, if you're not walking with God, you're actually giving legal ground and the Lord will not refuse that from going because you're giving the legal ground to it. And so Saul was actually experiencing this depression and, and this, um, this spirit of uh, unhappiness. And I just wrote in your books, that he was experiencing the opposite of David because his heart was constricted and shrunk and he was turning away from God and he wasn't only just suffering from a depressed mental state with bouts of depression but he was being driven by an evil spirit. He had given legal ground to a, a distressing spirit and I just wanted to say that that actually is the spirit, one of the spirits that's on this world system. That is what's going out and about. That is why our young people are so desperate to get drugs. That is why people are overdosing. That is why people can't face life. Because the spirit of the world, one of the spirits that the enemy sends out, that comes from the pit of hell, is a distressing spirit. And this is what Saul opened himself up to when he stopped obeying God and he stopped listening to God and he turned away. He opened himself up to distressing spirits. But you see, we have the Holy Spirit in us. And instead of us, instead of our hearts constricting, instead of our hearts shrinking, God wants our hearts 
to expand. He wants our hearts to be stretched so that we can know more and more of his Holy Spirit and more and more of his glory. And I love, I have to read this to you because this verse has been, I think probably, these verses have been probably one of my favourites for many, many years. And just over the last few weeks in church, we've been speaking an awful lot about them. And I think they're really, really relevant. They're from 2 Corinthians 3. Verse 17, now the the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. See, Saul was turning away from the Spirit of the Lord. David was turning towards the Spirit of the Lord. And David was, was enjoying God and Saul was becoming miserable and a distressing spirit was distressing him. And it says here, but we all with unveiled face Beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So in the Old Testament, as David looked to the Lord and worshipped the Lord, the Holy Spirit had come upon him, was resting on him, and he, his heart was expanding, and he was open to all that God had for him, and he was writing and worshipping and glorifying God, and all the time... Saul was going the opposite direction and his heart was constricting. And here's the choice that we have. We can, we can become bitter or better through life circumstances. God wants us to turn to him and he wants us to know more and more of the Holy Spirit. So we're going we're gonna to fly through some of this. I want to remind you, praise and worship stretches and enlarges your heart. The Spirit of the Lord will enlarge you, it will strengthen you, it will uh, change you from one level of glory to another. Your heart will be changed, your heart will be filled as you spend time in God's presence, looking into the face of Jesus, allowing yourself to worship him. The Holy Spirit will change you, the Holy Spirit will, will, will enlarge everything about you and particularly your heart and your your feelings and your mind. You know, one of the things that I think is so important that we allow the Holy Spirit to open our mindset. We can get into narrow thinking. We can get into constricted thinking where we see things in narrow lines and we don't allow ourselves to be open to what God would say and to be open to the bigger picture. And I'll tell you, God is always a bigger picture. God is always more. And it's by his Holy Spirit that you will learn that. And it's by his Holy Spirit that you will find that your heart is being opened and given a greater capacity to hold him. Now the third thing I've done here is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to others also enlarges our heart. And we're going to see that's what happened here. Because David, David was anointed to be king, but he was going to have to wait an awful long time. In the meantime, he just continued worshipping God. He just got on with every day. And during that time, it fell to him to actually minister to Saul. Because here's what it says, and we can't read all of this, but let's read some of it. It says in verse 14, The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit came upon him to trouble him. Further down, it says, And Saul's servants said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that he will play it uh, with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. And of course one of the servants said, Look, I've seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, and he's a skillful player, etc., etc. And... uh, 
the Lord is with him. So can you imagine, all of a sudden, David finds himself, he's been anointed, he's been carrying on just as before, and all of a sudden, he's been called up to come and minister to the king, if you please. And the king is in this really bad place, depressed, anxious, awful place, and they bring in David, and David begins to minister to the king. And he begins to minister as he plays the harp, as he plays and sings before the king. And, and something happens in Saul because, uh, because David is ministering to him. You see, there's a call in all of us to ministry. And it doesn't have to be after you've gone through like 20 courses and you know, you've been saved for about 20 years. I believe that God wants us to start to actually bless others from the moment we trust Jesus. And we can do that by just simply praying for people. We can do it by taking note as to what other people are going through and, and maybe encouraging them. We can encourage each other. This is ministry. Encouraging each other. Praying for someone and asking the Lord, is there a verse that you would give me for this person? That's ministry. Going to that person and saying, I just felt the Lord said this to encourage you. That is ministry. And there's something in ministering to others that expands our hearts. And David did it. And David went into Saul and he began to, he began to do a one-to-one. I want to tell you this. This was the beginning of something that was going to be massive. God usually starts with one-to-one. It was, it was David and Saul, one-to-one. Do you know that if you looked up 1 Chronicles 25, and maybe I will turn to it. Oops, sorry about that noise. If you looked up 1 Chronicles 25, you would see that one day when David was king, one day David was going to be the one who would organise and appoint, organise worship and appoint leaders to worship God in Israel. Let me just get it here. I think it's, yep, here we are. First uh, Chronicles 25, Moreover, David and the captains of the army separated for a service some of the sons of Asaph, of Heman, of Jedidoth. It goes down a whole list there. For 31 verses, it goes through a list of people. Uh, verse 3, it says, There was six under the direction of their father, Jedidoth, who prophesied with the harp to give thanks and to praise God. It says a list. I don't know how many there are in that list, but all of these people... They were skilled worshippers, they were skilled on the instruments, and they worshipped God. It says, verse 7, So a number of them with their brethren who were instructed in the songs of the Lord, all who were skilful, were 288, and they cast their lots for their duty. Do you know that from a one-to-one ministry, that David was going to organise that for 40 years, there was going to be uninterrupted ministry to the Lord? And out of that would come ministry to other people. Do you know that that's what God does? He starts with our willing hearts to be able and willing to just just minister in a small way to one person. And God will open up opportunities. And of course, all ministry starts with ministering to the Lord. David was one who ministered to the Lord on his own. And then out of that came the ministry to Saul. And as we minister to the Lord and as we worship him, then out of that will come ministry to other people. And we'll be able, and we'll begin to find our hearts, our hearts expanding. And I want to say to you that there's some of you in here today and you have gone through hard times. And there's some of you, and I want to say this, you are going through hard times right now. I know that. I know that in my spirit. But do you see in that hard time, 
as you choose to worship and praise God and minister to him, do you know what? Even in your hard time, you'll be able to minister to someone else because that's what God can do. And God wants us to actually move from a place of complete inward looking to starting to look out and starting to minister. And if we are faithful on the one-to-one, do you know what God will end up doing in your life? God, God wants to enlarge our hearts through ministering to other people. And he does it through praise and worship. He does it through uh, all kinds of ministry. You know, I've put in your notes here that, that ministry comes out of love and sacrificial praise and worship and thanksgiving to God. It comes out of fellowship with the Lord and allegiance to him and everything. It includes such things as, as, as us giving financially as well as practical giving of our time. It it's actually includes us surrendering all that we are and all that we have to God and out of that will come ministry to other people out of that overflow of our ministry to the Lord we will be able to minister to others and that can include such things as praying for people encouraging them taking care of them having compassion teaching encouragement so many ways and so many expressions of ministry God is so unique and God has a plan for every single one of you in the particular particular nuance of who you are and the gifts that he has put into you for you to be able to minister to other people as well. No wonder that Saul was comforted during those times of being distressed. Why? Because David was ministering to him. It's, it's interesting that in Ephesians 5 and 19, it says that we are to speak out to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs you know sometimes just having a song in our heart and speaking it out can lift somebody else up sometimes just sharing a thought can make all the difference and music is such a beautiful way to do that and worship and in second chronicles 20 we haven't time to look at it today but if you remember that's a story about a king who was in the in a valley situation who was in great danger and, and when he cried out to God, <coughs> God told him, he got a prophetic word to start to sing and to praise God. And it says, now when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, the Lord sent ambushes against their enemies and they were defeated. Something happens when we start to praise and worship and we do that to each other and pray for each other. So we've discovered today, and we're getting, we're getting a bit nearer to my main point, we've discovered that praise and worship stretches our hearts, that the Holy Spirit, as we look into the face of the Holy Spirit and, and allow him to, to fill us and to, to speak to us, uh, that also enlarges our heart. Ministering to other people will enlarge your heart, and also difficult situations will enlarge and stretch your hearts. So let's just turn over to the beginning of First uh, Samuel 17 where it says now the Philistines, Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Sokoth which belongs to Judah and they encamped between Sokoth and Azekah in Ephes Damon. That's quite a mouthful there so just given a bit of a cough there and got over that. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. 
He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of, ma- of mail, and the weight of, of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armour on his legs and bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a shield bearer went before him. He was some, he was some man, wasn't he? Uh, nine feet nine, they reckon, with a shield bearer in front of him, going in front of him. This was the one that was intimidating Israel. Then the Goliath stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Do you get the picture? This is one of the most fabulous stories in the Old Testament, isn't it? And most of us know it from our childhood. And it's an amazing picture to, to, to sort of have in our heads. And we see this valley and we see the, the Philistines stretched out opposite Israel. And of course Saul, like, Humanly speaking, he was the tallest man in Israel. His head was above everybody else's. He was a tall guy. And where's Saul? He's cringing in some corner. He's terrified. He's afraid. Because Saul has stopped putting his trust in God. And Saul has been dependent on, he's been going the wrong direction. His heart has been shrinking. And listen, whenever the enemy comes against us, if our heart has been shrinking, we're going to be in full of fear. We're going to be in the wrong place. And so Goliath is shouting out across the valley and he's shouting out to Israel. He's saying that he is their champion of the Philistines and he's intimidating and he's terrifying all the men of Israel, including Saul. Here's the thing that I wanted to say to us this morning. At certain times in all our lives, there are times when we feel that we are being intimidated. There are times in all of our lives where we feel like a kind of a Goliath is coming against us. Would you agree with me? That there are times when life is difficult. There are times when we feel as though the enemy has just surrounded us and he's just right there to terrify and oppose us, to bring fear and unbelief into our heart. And that giant can be so strong that actually it can just about nearly finish us off. And you know, that's where we need each other. But more than anything, that's where we need God to come and help us. Because it's not, by, it's not by might, and it's not by power, but it's by God's Spirit, says the Lord. So here's the, here's the picture. And, and, the, and the point of this is that God uses difficult situations to enlarge and stretch our hearts. And as we continue this week and next week, we're going to see that this situation didn't destroy David. And it didn't destroy Israel. The enemy threatened to destroy everybody, threatened to destroy God's people, but he didn't. Because do you know what? There was one young boy whose heart had been stretched and who was ready for the battle. And we're going to continue to look at David's heart and we're going to keep in step with him and we're going to prepare our hearts and we're going to see that God wants us to be like David, to have a heart that is open to him and a heart that can overcome and defeat whatever giant's coming against you. I wonder, are you finding there's a giant of temptation or a giant of fear coming against you right now?
David arrived on the battle scene. This was the scene that he came upon. But you know what? David, David all the time had been keeping his heart right. And the next heading that I have here in my notes is that humility and obedience enlarges our heart. David arrived at the battlefront, but he wasn't going to go right into the battle right away. And we're going to see that God had been preparing his heart because God wants us to have a heart that's in step with him. Although he had been anointed, David had been anointed to minister to Saul, the king, David was still subject to his father. He was still living at times, it would seem, with Jesse at the family home. And yes, when he was called up to minister to Saul, he was doing it, but he wasn't getting a big head. He wasn't like, oh, I'm in ministry now, you know, I don't have time for the mundane. He was living at home, he was subjecting himself to his father. And I want to tell you what I really believe is so important. It's so important that our hearts are humble before God. It's so important we don't get carried away with ourselves, because you know what, without him we can do nothing. And God, I believe, wants us to really walk with true humility. That, that doesn't mean that we're all apologetic and we're all, you know, Oh, I'm, I'm not and all that. No, it means that you know who you are. You know that you belong to Jesus and without him you can do nothing. It means that you stand in a place where you know that through, through Christ you can actually do it so long as he's in you and he's doing it through you. But you know that you can't do it on your own and you've no illusion about it. And so often we can get big heads and we can be thinking, oh, I can do this now. No, we can't. We can't do anything. I can't give one word that's going to make any difference to anybody in here unless the Holy Spirit comes and does it. And so I'm totally and absolutely dependent that right now the Holy Spirit would give you a bit of a shake and open up your mind and your heart because what we're going to say now, I believe, is really, really important. And the enemy would want to rock you over and to let you miss this because I'll tell you what, David was a humble young man who did not see himself above the mundane tasks. Let me read to you the background to the battle. The battle's gone on up here and, you know, a couple of years ago, whenever we were in Israel, we went and found the place where the battle took place. And I'll tell you about that in a minute. But I tell you, the battle was taking place, but meanwhile, back up in Bethlehem, David's at home, probably going around the farm, looking after sheep, sorting out stuff, carrying, carrying food, all the rest of it. And in the middle of it all, his father asked him to do something. Let me read it to you. It says, verse 14 of chapter 17, David was the youngest and the three oldest followed Saul. So the three oldest boys, in fact, let's go back a wee bit. It says that the three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn. Next to him was Abinadab and the third was Shammah. We're told a bit further back there that he had eight sons altogether. It says, David was the youngest and the three oldest followed Saul. They were up at the battle. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself for 40 days, morning and evening. Let me tell you, in the Bible, when anything happens for 40 days, that means it's very settled. Do you know what they tell you? They tell you that if you can break a habit for 40 days, that it's broken. There's something about the number 40 days. For 40 days, this enemy had been strutting up and down, intimidating and speaking against Israel and putting them down for 40 days. The Israelites were beginning to believe it. Something happens after 40 days. If you want to break a habit, 
Make some changes and keep them going for 40 days and you'll find that you'll get a bit of victory. And so for 40 days, in the opposite sense, the enemy had been prancing up and down and declaring himself to be the champion and intimidating Israel and calling them uh, no good and all the rest of it. And then it says in verse 17, Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves and run to your brothers at the camp. And carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand, and see how your brothers fare, and bring back news of them. Now, do you get the picture? Here is David, and he's at home, and he's doing the the mundane, routine tasks. But he's not one bit put out by the father telling him, you need to carry some bread and cheese and some grain up to your brothers. David wasn't one bit put out. He was as happy ministering to Saul and going into the presence of the king and probably being treated with kid gloves by all the people in the king's palace as somebody special because he was going in to minister to the king. David was just as happy doing that as he was carrying up bread and cheese up to the battlefront to give to his brothers. Do you know, that particular day, as David took the bread and the cheese, I wonder, did it ever occur to him that his life would never be the same again? Whenever we went in Israel a couple of years ago, I've only been to that this particular site once, and we're hoping to go again next year. That particular day, we just stopped. It's a very ordinary place. You just look around at a couple of wee hills, and you just think, wow. You can see where there was a little brook there, where he probably went down and got the few stones out. But that day that David was walking from Bethlehem up to where the battlefront was, we, we were at the battlefront, the site, and we were going back to Bethlehem to go back to Jerusalem. And on the way up to Bethlehem, this thought struck me. It was somewhere along this road that David was walking up to the valley of Elah. And, and, and all of a sudden, it was like, I could just see this young man and he's heading up carrying loaves and bread and, and, and cheese under his arms. And he's marching up from Bethlehem up to the Valley of Elah. And he had no idea that his life would never be the same again. Why? Because he'd been faithful all along the way in his worship, in his ministry. David was ready. He was ready because he was willing to do the mundane thing. He was ready because he kept his heart right. And that day, his life would never be the same again. And next week, we're going to look at how he actually fought and won the battle and saved Israel. And you know what? God wants you to know that the mundane things in your life are very, very important. And sometimes we get fed up and we chaff and we hate it and all the rest of it. But God wants to teach us how to be faithful, how to praise him even when nothing extraordinary is happening. He wants us to praise him even whenever it looks as though everything's coming against us. He wants us to know that even when life looks so difficult that we can't move forward, he wants us to know that's the very time that he's going to change things. Most unexpectedly, he is going to change things. God wants you to know that he will stress you. When David arrived up at the battlefront, do you know what he could hear? He could hear the voice of the, of the giant. He could hear the voice of Goliath thundering across that valley, shouting abuse and challenging and intimidating Israel. It says the Philistines had drawn up in battle array. 
I want to tell you this, that Satan lines up in battle array. You need to know, and I need to know, we need to be awakened to the fact that Satan just doesn't do a sort of a hit or a miss. There are strategic principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. The enemy is organised. You need to understand that we have a religious system, a political system, material system, consumerism, philosophical world, we have business world, we have education system, we have a, we have a, a, a commercial system, we have entertainment, we have all of this all mixed up and the enemy has all his strategies and his principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in, in all of these high places and he's operating in a very strategic way through the system of this world. But you know what? The moment you trust that Jesus is your saviour, you come out of that system and you're in another world. You belong to another world. You belong to another kingdom. And we need to actually, I think, sometimes realise that we're not in the old system, that we don't belong there. That's not who we are. That's not where we should be. We're in another system with another king. And our king is in charge. And we can trust in him. And you see these battles and these difficulties that come against us? Do you know what? God just wants to take us through and he wants to teach us. And one of the things that God's been really saying to me these last few days is, do you know what? I want to learn to flow with the Holy Spirit. I want to learn to flow and praise him in the Spirit. I want to learn to flow in, in, in ministering to other people. That it's not something that you just get yourself all ready and it's like you're... No, but it's out of a heart that's worshipping and ministering to God that the overflow of that will be that people around you will get splashed. That you'll be flowing in what God wants to do in your life. That out of that place of, of, of flowing with God's anointing and knowing that God is with you and for you and keeping short accounts with him and allowing your, your, your spirit to be connected with God's spirit, something happens that life begins to flow. And then when difficult situations arise, it's not such a big shock. Because you know he's been faithful with you in the ordinary times. He'll be faithful with you in the hard times. And you know that he's going to work all things. I want to stop here. It's not some things. It's all things together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. I would love you to get a, a fresh grip today on this truth that God is working all things for you together for good. And today as we think about this, I just think it's so important that we remember don't listen to the lies of the enemy. When David got up to that camp that day and he heard that giant thundering across the valley, he could have immediately gone into panic mode and thought, I'm out of here. I'm away back up to Jesse. He could have been in reverse gear. But you know what? He didn't listen because he knew that his God was with him. And here's what he said. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? This is the attitude that we should have in our hearts. Who does the enemy think he is coming against me? I have the, I have the living God fighting for me. Who is, who is he? Who does he think he is? That's the attitude of our hearts. Greater is he who is in you than he that's in the world. And you know what? That thing that's coming against you right now, that problem that you think is so difficult, that's just all going to be worked around for more training for you. So that you'll be more equipped and that your heart will be more stretched because God stretches our hearts through the difficult times. That's when God does his best work. 
I'll tell you that in my own experience, that is when God worked the greatest in my life. He did the greatest thing through the most horrible times. And if you're going through a horrible time, just you know that God is with you. Get some people around you. Make sure you get some prayer. Bring your thoughts and feelings into the light. Keep talking. Keep moving. Keep flowing. Let the Holy Spirit minister to you. Let others minister to you. The Holy Spirit will speak to you through the prophetic, through the word of God. Let it flow. Let it flow. Let it flow. And you will find that God will flow you out of that situation. And he'll flow you into the next. And he'll bring you into the space, into the place where there's much room for you to work. For you to do all that God's planned for you to do. God wants you to have a capacity for more. And the only way you can have a capacity for more is to go through the stretching times. And sometimes they're lovely as we praise and worship and they just happen. And other times, it's times of difficulty when we don't feel like praising, when we don't feel like blessing anybody else, when we don't feel like ministering to the Lord, when we, don't, when we just feel like kicking out and throwing it all off us. That's the very time that God is working for you and wanting you to turn it around to a greater capacity, to stretch your heart for more of God. Is your heart being enlarged and stretched at the moment as you continue to trust God? perhaps in the midst of difficult circumstances? Or is your heart fearful and shrinking because of a subtle or maybe not so subtle attack of the enemy? <clears throat> know this for sure. God means to stretch you to have a greater capacity for more of him. But the enemy means to cut you down, not just to shrink, but to kill and to steal and destroy you. Where do we hear that? That's what Jesus said, John 10. But what did Jesus say? I came that you might have life and have it to the full. God wants to stretch our hearts for a greater capacity of him. It's in the simple things. It's in the simple attitudes. It's catching ourselves on whenever we start to go around a certain route that's going against what God says. It's, it's cutting that off and saying, here's what God says. And here's what I will declare. And here's what I will praise over. I can tell you that back 30 years ago when I was at my lowest point, this is what I learned. And I learned it not in the good times. I learned it in the worst time of my life. I learned that when I started to praise and dance before the Lord, when my heart was breaking, that something happened in me. And something happened in the atmosphere that changed everything. And the way that I have walked... The way that I have walked has been through brokenness and through disappointment and through the stuff that you're probably going through right now, many of you. But you know what? God means to turn it around, to stretch your heart, to fill you with a greater capacity and to work out his plans for you. That's what EGAS is all about. It's about rising up with wings on EGAS. It's about learning to run through the barrier, through the ribbon. Don't run up and let it stop you way I stopped. Run straight through, break through and go in for all that God has for you. Because I'll tell you as we look towards him he's the one we're running towards. Yeah. All about him. He's the one, the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the one who'll be with us every step of the way. You think you're beginning to squeak a bit, your knees are going a bit, you know what, he's right there. And he said, come on, let's run together. And you run with him and you run towards him. And he's going to take us through. And we're going to see mighty things done. We're going to see mighty things done through this group. And next week, I am going to get great delight in telling you about Goliath.
because there's nothing like seeing him fall down. And we're going to see that next week. In Jesus' mighty name. We're going to sing this song. I just sense today, I felt a heaviness, I felt a power to speak today, I felt a heaviness in the atmosphere. But I really feel that many of you are in that place where you just, maybe you're looking back or you're feeling, you know, is it really worth it all? Through it all, has God been with you? You need to remind yourself, yes, through it all, he has been and he will be with you. In Jesus' name. Lord, I want to thank you that every woman in this place has a story to tell. I want to thank you, Lord, that your heart is taken up with their story. I want to thank you that you're in their story with them. And I want to thank you, Lord, that you have pledged yourself and committed yourself and covenanted to take them through and to bring them into all that you have for them. God, you just want them to keep looking and keep praising and keep trusting. And Lord, thank you that you will change them and make them shine and still them in the deepest part of their being, Lord, that you will bring quiet and peace in a way that nothing else can do. No one else can do this, Lord, but you. And so we look upon your face and we thank you that you will take us through. And we thank you, Lord, that you have blessings in store that we have not yet even imagined. Lord, we just declare your blessings over every woman in this place and declare that as they go, that they will know that whatever they're at in their story today, that you are right with them, holding them by the hand, walking with them. And Lord, I thank you that you're a faithful God. Thank you that you're our rock. You're our fortress. You're the one we look to. You're the defender. You're the one who is the lifter up of our head. Maybe walk out of here today, Lord, knowing that you're with us and knowing that you are doing something beautiful in us. In Jesus' name. Amen.